carries cameras anymore, right? Everybody just carries their phone around and everything's, everything's right there. Do you ever use the filters that are built into your phone? Do you, under, do you understand this in the world of photography now that you can make it look however you want it to look? How many of you uh, use your phone, you know, for your camera? You, you do that, okay? A lot of people. How many of you use the filters sometimes to make it look even better? even better than it really is. How many of you are on um, Snapchat and use filters? Okay, just this section, <laughs> this section right here. How many of you are on Instagram? All right, picking up some of the uh, old people now. All right, um, and that's the cool thing is you can use these filters. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. You know, you can look at all these choices and there's one way, let's see, up in the very left, hand corner. that's how it used to look you know, one day, and this is the ways it could look. And here's another idea uh, about that. That's my backyard. Um, got a little seed planted. Got that looking good this year. And um, but you can tell, you know, this is probably most of us our favorite is taking pictures of of our grandchildren, right? And you know, other ordinary children. But um, <laughs> it's just so cool the different effects that you can get. Uh, with these filters. In fact, now it's such a kind of almost like a phenomenon when you don't use a filter that people will hashtag no filter. I mean, that's just the way it really looked. That was just like that. I didn't even use a filter because it's so common uh, to use filters to make things look better. And the same idea with Photoshop and getting ready for this series. I thought, well, there's an illustration, an idea of how something really looks and then how it looks after it's Photoshopped. I just, just go on and look at celebrities. Oh my goodness, they're not like, and a local newscaster told me once that, uh, I think it was at Channel 10, said we hate it when HD television came to Knoxville because now people can see exactly what we really look like, you know, because it's all there, it's all there. The whole idea behind this series is built around this idea that temptation comes to us with filters attached. Sin will always dress up to look good. Filters change the way something or someone really looks. And sin almost always has a filter so that you don't see it for what it really is. How destructive, how damaging, how hurtful uh, it is in your life. So here's the premise for the next several weeks, that temptation is always deceptive. It's never straightforward. It's always misleading. There are, there's always a lie built into it. Okay, there's always a lie behind it. There's always a trick. There's always something you don't know yet about it. And if you learn, if I learn that one thing about sin and about temptation, you're halfway to victory right there. Uh, because that's just that's just wisdom that a lot of us don't don't get. So I know some of you are pretty good. Sunday morning church Baptist Church, Knoxville, Tennessee, we're some pretty good people. So maybe you don't know about sin. Maybe you're, you know, pretty righteous. 
And um, I'm going to do like, a, like, I'm a, like a presidential person. No, I'm not. Um, just the thought. But, um, you know, you maybe think, oh, I'm kind of rusty with sin. I don't sin very much. I hadn't sinned a lot. So I'm going to just teach you how to sin, okay, so that we can kind of backtrack a little bit and you make sure you're on the same page and you know how to sin. How many of you, how many of you have sinned? How many of you have sinned? You can just go ahead and say, yeah, I've done some of that. Most of us, a few have not. Um, you really, yeah, I'm still sinning right here. I'm just, I'm just, I can't stop right now. Okay. How many of you sin a lot? How many of you sin a lot? Okay. There's, there's a few of us less. So you getting, so you get, you thinking, oh, he's getting, I don't want to be that vulnerable. How many of you are really good at it? You're just really good at sin. Okay. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> it's like therapy, isn't it? You feel good? Okay. Next week. See you back. Okay. Stop on the way out, make an appointment. It's 100 bucks. <laughs> All right. Here's how you sin. I'm going to get this straight out of Scripture um, because we're, we're told how it happens. And this is, I, I can't think, you know what? Looking at this as, as a sinner, looking at this as a counselor, as a pastor, as a theologian, whatever, however you, you, you too, this is pretty good. This is pretty spot on of how it happens, how the process and how it takes place. It's in James. I started to say First James. There's another James you don't know about that I discovered. No, there's uh, First. I'm still doing it. James, chapter one, verse fourteen says says this. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, it grows up, it brings forth death. The very next thing James says is don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Because that's just built in. That is wired in to sin and into temptation. So uh, here's how this works. And I, I drew this for you, and it's one of my great illustrations right out of my journal. But there, there is a temptation uh, that, that will come. And, that, and this is going to happen today. It's probably already happened. It's going to continue to happen again and again. And I use this because, you know, if you were out yesterday, you know, it just kind of rained off and on all day. And I'd watch for that. And, and I told Kathy, I said, it's me. I'm causing the rain because every time I step outside, it starts. And it's like some angels went to God and said, can we just have a little fun today? Can we just, can we just, just play a trick on Dan? Because every time he steps out, we're going to make it rain. And so every time I went out, it started raining. And there's not a lot you can do about that. You can carry an umbrella. That's wise. And you can see I can go in all kinds of directions with the metaphor here. But it, when it rains, you're, you're going to get wet. or you know, It's just going to happen. Temptation's going to come. And you haven't sinned yet. Okay? You're okay. It's, it's, you're going to be tempted. Everybody. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. Okay, so you're okay. So sometimes we, we get tempted and we feel like, oh, no, I'm being tempted and, and like something evil or something bad. No, you're still in the zone, okay? So there's a temptation, and the way that occurs is that we're lured and enticed. Now, you know what a lure is. We're in Tennessee, right? Now, you throw that out there. It's like a fishing term or, you know, maybe a hunting term. And, you know, and you, you've got a lure. You've got something there. You've got bait. And the thing is, you never, you know, you, you put out the bait that's appropriate for what you're trying to catch. 
right? And fishermen love this. Some of you are fishermen. Uh, I, see, I see Roger sitting here. He goes all over the world to, to fish, and you use certain kind of baits for certain kind of fish and certain kind of lures and certain kind of, you know, you go duck hunting and you put ducks out there. You know, you don't put a giraffe out on the lake and say, oh, yeah, they're going to they're gonna be attracted to that and land all around. You know, you go deer hunting. You, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? So there's a lure that is custom-made for you. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to match, kind of. it's going to get your attention. And then it, you're, you're enticed. And the word enticed just means to enhance that. It's like a lure on steroids. You know, it's like Krispy Kreme was a good donut. And now there's duck donuts. And now there's, I mean, you know, now there's like gourmet donuts. Are you serious? And you go in there and you go, oh, my goodness. This is donut heaven. It's like donut world. And, you know, and, just, and that's the way enticement works with the lure. It just really kind of enhances that for you. And it comes out of your desire. That's an interesting word because I think in the King James, if some of you read that version, it says lust. Um, epithemia is, is, the, is the word. And it, it literally means desire or a built-in need. In other words, it's neutral in its morality at this point. It's a neutral term. It's desire. I can desire take another drink. Can you see the direction that goes? I can desire that my children live godly lives. Well, now it's positive. So it's a neutral word. Uh, but the enemy knows that he can take a built-in desire that you already have, and it's going to be so much easier to get you to lean into that and to get you to sin, to tempt you that way, than it will be to take something that you're not interested in and try to get you to do that. So do you understand that? So there is a desire. So that leads uh, to, to this temptation, and then there's desire, and he, and he uses this biological metaphor. He says, then there's conception. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go ask Mama. Because um, if you ask Daddy, he's going to send you back to Mama. Okay? So uh, there's conception, and then sin is born. Sin's born when temptation and desire get together. They conceive, and they have sin. And then sin grows up. And you know where sin always leads? It always leads to a death. Some part of you, some part of your life, some part of the world around you is going to die because of sin. In fact, God said in the very beginning, in the very first book of the Bible, when you sin, you will surely die. That was one of the very first messages he had for the human race. When you sin, you're going to set into motion a process of death. Now, do you think on the front end... That temptation, that the enemy, that Satan's going to say, okay, I'm going to try to get you to do something here. It's a, it's a wrong thing. It's a bad thing. It's going to hurt you. And eventually, it's going to kill you. Are you in? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. You know, no, you're going to go, well, no. Wait, this is going to kill me? Yep. Well, then I'm not going to do You see, it's got a filter on it. It's got a filter, and it's going to down, downplay that part. So... Temptation is connected to more than just pleasure, more than just a buzz, more than just a feel-good. Uh, it, it, it's, it's got a desire into it, a built-in need in a place 
usually that you've had for a long time. You didn't just start having this desire or this need. I think it typically grows out of a woundedness. There is a longing, a lack, a gap, a hole, a hurt place somewhere inside you. And it's something legitimate, a real need, a real something that you may not even can identify at this moment, but you know it's there. And so to get that met, to get that fulfilled, you'll take shortcuts. You'll medicate yourself. You'll, you'll do all kinds of things and never realizing where you're going, what you're trying to do. And God, I don't know if you're going to take care of me, so I'll just take care of myself. Thank you very much. So when you tempted, still, you, you remember, you hadn't sinned yet. That's, that's pretty normal. But sometimes when you're tempted, then you take that next step and you think about it. You begin to imagine it. And you think, well, I hadn't, I hadn't sinned yet. I hadn't done anything. I'm just kind of just, just pausing as I drive by. You know, like a car wreck, and you think, I'm not going to look, and what do you, you know, you look, and you just look over there, and you think, this is horrible, I don't want to see, and then you look. So you kind of look at that temptation, you look at that sin, you lean into it, and when you do that, there's a chemical called dopamine, and that's released in your brain just a little bit. That's released just a little bit. That feels kind of good. And you think, my goodness, just thinking about it, I kind of like or something, there's, a, there's like a feel-good attached to that just a little bit. So, so you, you think about it a little more. And for different people, at different moments, at different times, it can be different things. It can be food. It can be sex, drink, anger, stealing, porn. And you make a choice. Now what am I going to do? What am I going to do next? Here's the thing about temptation. It will often come at just the right moment. Or I probably should say at just the wrong moment or just at the worst time. Have you ever noticed that? That rarely do you walk out of your quiet time or an amazing worship experience and you, and you feel this temptation? You go, no, nay, not I, never, you know, and because and you're feeling strong and you're feeling good. Maybe that happens, but a lot of times it comes when you feel vulnerable, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're lonely, when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're feeling sorry for yourself. And you're just having a big old pity party. And so you can rationalize or justify leaning into the temptation. Don't you know that the enemy has a strategy? He's got a plan. He's using filters. And he knows when to come to you. That's not random. It's not when you look back and think, well, what a coincidence. Every time I'm feeling like this, that's when I eat a whole bag of potato chips. Huh. No, you see, you're, you're just medicating. Kathy and I went to a funeral service in uh, uh, Halls, Fountain, Fall, uh, Falls, 
I just can't communicate. Hall's, Hall's Crossroads, I think, you know, out that area. And there's a Bel Air Grill. I didn't know there was one still open except for the one in Pigeon Forge. But we decided, let's get a burger. You ever had a burger there? They're like the size of your head. Ah, oh, they're so big. And, and Kathy said, oh, the Cowboy Burger is on special. Let's get two Cowboy Burgers. And just the name of it tells you right there, right? If it's something that a cowboy eats. And, you know, it was, it was about like that. And... Um, and I said, well, you know, and I'm just going to get fries. I hadn't ordered fries in a year. I'm going to get fries. I mean, you see what a slippery slope it is. I said, yeah, and bring me a pack of cigarettes and some meth. And uh, I'll take a picture of whatever you got. You know, and I'm just, I'm just like, whoa, you know. I ate the whole thing. Now, because it's so big, you can't pick it up. So I cut mine in half. And just for a moment, a split second, Kathy was so proud because she thought I was going to cut it in half, box up half to take home and eat only half. (laughs) Then she saw me eat the whole thing because I was hungry. I was so hungry and I hadn't had one in so long and it looked so good. And it smelled, you see... That's when you know that's when it's gonna happen for you. Look at Genesis three, and I'll show you how in the very first sin that we see, the first display and example of how this was introduced to us and came into the world, uh, that this is sort of the way it happened there. In Genesis chapter three, verse one, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, right there in the middle, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a and that's legitimate so far, you know, and that it was a delight to the eyes, you think, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Isn't it funny, uh, in verse 1, or tragic, I should say, uh, that Satan knew just when to come. He waited until Eve was alone. I don't know where Adam was. Maybe he was off naming animals. He was at work. Honey, I'm home, you know. And yeah, I did all the mammals today. I'm so tired. What do we got to eat? Anything you want. And this special for tonight. Eve was alone and she was vulnerable. He chose the right moment because she was isolated. You know, that worked for her and it will work for you. How many times have you given in the temptation, got off on the wrong track because you were by yourself? Nobody to talk you down, 
Nobody to, to kind of speak sense into you and say, no, you nut, no, we're not going to do that. Or Isolation is, is dangerous in that it's, it, it'll just almost lead you to failure. So when you live your life all by yourself, not connected to other people. That's why we have the church. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have friendships. That's why we have family. That's why we build all of these relationships into our life. And when we say that little phrase, we're doing life together, I know it's become like a cliche and you've heard it all over the place, but we really mean that because it makes a difference. There's a strength. There's a strength there in community. There is resistance and there's strength and there's healing and there's, there's re recovery. The enemy knows you. He's been watching you your whole life. He knows the right moment. I don't think he's omniscient. I don't think he can necessarily read your mind or know. You know, I, 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 just, I don't think he's all powerful like God is. But I think he knows he's pretty crafty. And he knows when to hit you. And he's, he knows... He's most powerful. The temptation's most powerful either when you're alone or when you feel alone. You know, one of those things that, it, that was appealing to this for Eve, it said it has the power to make her wise. It appealed to her self-esteem. It appealed to her as a woman, as just a human being. Oh, I can be lifted, her accepted. And, and how many times have I sinned when I'm with a bunch of people, you know, I can remember doing things with guys and being out and, and just, and, and you just think later, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I do that? Because I got egged on to do it because I didn't want to be rejected because I didn't want somebody to make fun of me and because I wanted to be accepted. Acceptance is a powerful influence and you'll do things you never thought you would do simply because the people around you are doing it and you buy in. He knows. And he makes it look like that sin is exactly what you want and it will get you what you need. It's going to take you to the next place. <laughs> Let me tell you, in the light of day, without birds attacking us, it's just a beautiful time. He's lying to you. He's a liar. Look at, look at John chapter 8 verse 44 you are of the of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires there's that word but it see it's gone negative now he was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar He's the father. He's the king. He's the champion. He's the big daddy. He's a liar. And don't think that he won't lie to you. He's ruthless and he's relentless. And he will lie. And so what you think and what feels so true is, is not. You know, back in Genesis 3, chapter 1, you know, when it says Satan is... is is crafty, or your version may say cunning. That's another one of those neutral words that can go this way or that way. It can mean shrewd or wise or insightful. It can also mean tricky. 
and dishonest and cunning and crafty. The enemy will take normal emotions and push them one way or the other. Is it, is it always wrong? Is it never, ever, ever right to be angry? And there's sometimes you may feel a justified anger. What do you, how do you express that? Which way does it go? How does it work out? You, you get what I'm saying? And so the process begins. And, and if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, one of the first things that's going to happen is that, that Satan will challenge, he will question God's word. All the things you've taught. And I love this musical. I'm coming back tonight because I want to see this. I love the fact that we're getting God's word into, into, our, in, into children at an early age. I had a good friend uh, who was way away from the Lord. He was riding his motorcycle, and he began to think of scriptures that he had memorized as a child. And he said, as an adult, as they came back to me, I, 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 I could hear them in my mind. He said, with understanding. He said, Dan, as I, be, as I was riding along and I was thinking about these scriptures, he said, my eyes began to fill with tears and I couldn't see to, to ride my bike. He said, I had to pull over to the side of the road because these scriptures had that, had that power. They were true. God will, you know, will just reinforce your life with his word if you've got his word, if you have access to it in some way. But, he, but the enemy will, will challenge that. He'll question it. In fact, do you know the very first question in the Bible? Very first question ever asked in the Bible is in Genesis 3, verse 1. He said to the woman, Did God, is that what he really, did he actually say to not eat of that? Think that, did he, wait, let's just stop and think, what, what did the Bible say? What did the Bible really say about that? See, when you want to sin, you'll take another look at the Bible and try to make it uh, adapt to your new position or to your new sin, right? I've been doing it my whole life. I used to argue with my Christian friends from Scripture that some of the things I was doing was okay. It was weak and it was lame, but it was all I had. And, but we do that. We do that. And only later do you look back and think, what? That's, that's so crazy. But the first question in the Bible planted doubt, and he used a question. Plant doubt. Wait a minute. Does the Bible talk about that really? Or what is it really? Well, it says this, but I don't think it says that. And you see where we begin to go. So he insinuates, uh, he, he gets us to try to begin to assume that God's word is open for our critique and our discussion and our opinions and, and, and our judgment. I see that every day, don't you? I mean, I'm pretty good at it. I've done it. But I read articles and blogs, and don't you see that where somebody will write a verse and say, now this verse looks like it says this, but it really doesn't say that. You know, it, it really says something else. Or what that means is, or back in that day, of course, that is just, <laughs> I want to tell you that 99% of the time, it just... Whatever it says, that's pretty much what it means, okay? But we, we bring that, and then we reinterpret it. Oh, yeah, 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 I read that. And somebody maybe challenge you, and they'll use a scripture, and you go, oh, yeah, but I, I know what that verse means now. I, I used to not know what it means, and now I do. Look at his, his reasons in verse 4 and 5. He says, but the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. He just, he just reinterprets this and he challenges it. And he goes, you don't have to obey. If you don't understand why, 
then you don't have to be obedient to that. Once you agree with it, you kind of get it. Did you ever do that when you were a kid? You ask your mom, why? Or your dad said, no, you can't take Why? Why can't I do that? Now, I don't know about your dad. My dad never said, that's a good question, son. Let me logically explain this to you. Because I think once you see the reasons, I'll go, gee, dad, I guess you're right. Now I understand. Thanks for setting me on the right path. No, he, you know, first of all, my dad never did that. The standard answer in my house was, because I said so, that's why. I mean, it was, that was the end of discussion. But we come back to scripture and say, well, you know, I don't think that's what, and if I don't understand, God, why would you do that? That just doesn't sound like the God I know. And I just don't think God's like that. And I had somebody argue for their sin not long ago and said, well, I said, but, but the scripture says, yeah, well, I just don't think God's like that. Oh, okay, so you're the filter now. So you, okay, we're going to go by what you think. That's not what it means. You will be tempted to question the validity and the authority and even the meaning, the interpretation of God's word. That's how temptation works. And then Satan, once he gets you moving in that direction, then you begin to doubt the whole thing. And when you begin to doubt the word, then you begin to see these incidences and you look at God in a skewed way. You begin to see him in a different way because what Satan's doing is he's wanting you to doubt not just the word, but God himself. God's character. Did God say that? That's not true. Why would God tell you that? And he exaggerates. Like in, and you know, in verse 1, he said, did, you know, did God actually say that? And the woman said, well, Here's what I think. And you see, he's trying to get us. And how many times have you thought God's too strict? God's harsh. God's mean. God's a killjoy. God is no fun. What's a, well, I don't want to be a Christian. You know, this, this held me up for a while. I thought, boy, when I start walking with the Lord, because I kind of was beginning to think about this is the right way. But I already started to grieve over my sin because I thought, wow, this, what in the world am I going to do? You know, this is not going to be any fun. I don't know. Christians I know, all they do is go to church and eat casseroles and, you know, I, 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 I go to those awful Christian movies. You know, I just thought, you know, at the time, <laughs> I'm sorry, just the production money wasn't there. I didn't mean that. Okay. But, you know, I, I just thought, okay, that's, what else do they do? Well, they do those, those crowd breakers and ice breakers at parties. And I thought, well, you, you got to give me something else. You know? uh, and, and you see, we began to impose that onto God. To make it, and, and Eve answered, and you know, she started off pretty good because she corrected him, like, oh, no, 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 that's not what God said. But she, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees. That's okay. He said we could do that in the garden. But God did say, now that you mention it, he did say, don't eat of the fruit of that tree that's in the midst. And then she adds, and he said, don't touch it. He said, he said, he said don't, don't, don't do that. He exaggerates. God had said, you can eat of any tree, just not that one tree. There are thousands of trees in this garden, and they're all yours, except for one. Does that sound strict or harsh to you? What God actually said is in chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely... 
In other words, absolutely, freely, totally, as much as you want. It's a buffet. You can eat of every tree in the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Just one tree I have reserved. Uh, and I, I just, I'm not going to explain everything about it, but I'm going to tell you all of these are, are for you. So when Eve quotes that, you notice she, and this is what we do, she begins to alter. She omits the word uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 2, and then in 3, 3, she omits the word any. She omits the word freely, that you may do that. You see how she starts thinking, you know, he's kind of strict. And then she adds her own words to it, which we do to the Bible sometimes ourselves. You know, he said, and he also said, you can't even touch it. Why would he say that? What's touching it got to do? You know, God's so mean. He's so strict. Very first humans. So Satan sees that he's kind of, that she's coming along, so he takes it another step. And basically what he's going to do next is call God a liar. In verse 4, he says, but the servant said to the woman, you're not going to die. He said you're going to die? He told you that? That's not true. He implies, in verse 5, God's not good, but he's holding you back. God's got something, and he's not sharing it with you. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever look over at your other friends, and you think, he's withholding something. God's keeping something from me that I need or that I want, and why is he doing that? He's not fair. It's not fair, or God's not really nice because he's... And so we, we begin to get this grudge, this resentment begins to, to build up. And sometimes you begin to think and feel like, well, if God's not going to take care of me, then I'll just take care of myself. You got to look after number one. And I did it my way. And, uh, you know, and you, you start thinking of that. Be especially careful of that when you've been defeated, when you've been hurt. When you've been abused or misused, you've been overlooked for the promotion, and so you think, well, then that gives me, well, here's what I'm going to, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do this for this company anymore. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And see, you feel kind of justified. You feel like there's a rationalization of, did you do that? Yeah, but, but, here's, but here's why I did it. And see, we've got a go-to reason because of something that happened to us. We feel victimized, or maybe you're just plain old tired. You know, you're just, you're feeling lonesome. You're just really, really lonely, or you're sad, or you've been hurt. And so then you feel like, okay, how many times have you sinned in anger? How many times have you just been really mad about something, and so you went out, and you you just did something that you wouldn't ordinarily have done, and later you calm down and think about it and think, oh my goodness. Satan knows the things that we fear. And he knows that, that the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that we don't like is to be judged. And that's why when we sin, it's real rare just to say, I sinned, I did it. When our daughter was little, which was a, you know, a, a while back, and she took crayons and marked all over the guest room walls with crayons. And 
we went in there and you know said did you do that she looked at it and said I did that <laughs> like isn't that beautiful if there was a way to frame this wall you know I think we should but she just so confessed so quickly and easily but as time went by she learned there are consequences when you do that and we did the same thing so another time we went in and we said did you do that now she had three invisible friends Winga, Zeke, and Arky. So she looked at the crayon that day, put her little hands on her hips and said, that Winga, her invisible friend had drawn on the wall this time. Isn't that a snapshot of what we do and how we sin and how we give in to temptation? Why? Because we don't want to be judged. And that's why some of the, some of the groups we go to stay at a superficial level whether it's an accountability group or whether it's a community group or a friendship group, you know, we, we will share up to a certain point. And then we stop because we know if we cross that line, you're going to get judged. It's very vulnerable and very risky. It's also a place where a lot of victory happens. A lot of beautiful things happen when you when your group will dare to step into that place of vulnerability and just begin to share your hearts. We don't like being judged. I think it's probably what most folks don't like the most about religion or church or for those of us who are Christians. I was on the phone with a relative once and I just, com- I just made a comment as innocently as I could make it. And the response was, Don't judge me. Stop being a preacher. Okay. I'm not, you see, and does that ever happen to you? Maybe you're on one side or the other. You know, you have felt judged by Christians maybe and people who are righteous in their own eyes and and you kind of feel that. But then there's the other side of that where, uh, you know, it's kind of like, well, I'm not allowed to say anything because people use that. We all have. What Satan is doing is he's contradicting one of the first doctrines that was ever established, and that that there is a judgment. There is consequence for sin. There are consequences for your sin every time. R.G. Lee used to have a famous sermon called Payday Someday. There's a payday someday. Satan or temptation will always promise one thing but deliver something else. Don't be foolish. Don't get pulled in. Don't don't believe the lie. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. He says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, he makes this promise. Oh, when this happens, oh, you're going to be so smart. In fact, you're going to be just like God. I mean, it's going to be amazing. You are going to be awesome. That's the way temptation comes. This is going to be so much fun, and it's going to be so great, and everybody's going to be there, and, you know, all those kind of things. He will never whisper the consequences to you. He'll never say, now, these actions will lead to an addiction, (laughs) or these actions are going to cause, or this is going to cause this to happen. No, he's going to downplay that every time. And isn't it funny, when they sinned, and then, you know, this begins to unfold, and what did they do next? says they knew they were naked. 
They didn't have all this amazing wisdom and knowledge and insight and air of this godlike qualities. They said, uh, we don't have any clothes on. That's all we know. And shame. They were covered in shame. They began to go to this, this other place. Nobody said anything about that. There was no footnote. There was no clause. There was no fine print. He didn't stop and say, oh, no, by the way, before you do this, before you take a bite, I think full disclosure here, let me tell you what's going to happen because you're going to get kicked out of the garden and you're going to die now and you're going to have, you know, having babies is going to be awful. It's just going to be hard. And, you know, and, and, and he, didn't, he didn't mention any of that. Oh, sorry. It's really not so bad, those of you about to have children. It's easy. It's easy. I ate a chili dog. During, you know, I mean, it was just so easy. Uh, but that's kind of what happened. You see, all that Eve knew was that the fruit was a delight to the eye. That's why temptation is. Oh, that looks good. It was desirable. When you listen, every take it from me. I'm really, I'm a good sinner. And so when I listen to the creatures, what's been created, instead of the creator, I get in trouble. When my friends tell me what's right and wrong, when they tell me what's okay, when they hide the consequences, and I, and I go with that, you mess up every time. Listen to the creator, not the creatures. Sin will give you a buzz. Typically, there's got to be a reward, right? Or why would we do it? You know, what, why? there's got to be some kind of pleasure. And what that is, is a chemical that you already carry. You don't have to get on some other drug, <laughs> opiates or alcohol or anything, because you carry within you a drug called dopamine. And that's released when you sin. But it always leads to guilt and shame. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And that's where we start hiding. They start covering up, and they start hiding because shame is in control now. Here's the thing. Um, I was reading an article just recently uh, about the brain and about the way this works. And this was not even, check this out, not even uh, a Christian source. It was validated by Christian sources, but it, but it wasn't just completely that. When you sin, when you act out inappropriately, there is a spike in, in this it, I mean, it just shoots up. And you think, whew, I got a rush. That just, that feels really good. I'm kind of getting a buzz out of that. And you think, but then, when you've acted out, then it drops. I mean, it just plummets. And it goes further down than you were to start with and so what do you need you need another you know, something you know you think i gotta take another drink i gotta i gotta go there again i gotta do and that's how addictions get started because you're just you're being addicted to that now here's the thing about pleasure done in a, in a righteous way it doesn't spike like that i'm not gonna kid you it doesn't hit the roof and you think whoa you know but there's a gradual there's a gradual something, there's a pleasure, there's this that happens, and then it tapers off slowly, it doesn't just drop. That's just what happens, biologically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. That's kind of the way this works. Sin's gonna, gonna give you a buzz, but 
you've got to be alert and suspicious of any kind of teaching or any kind of interpretation that opens a way and makes room for sin because there's a hook in that lure, okay? There's something hidden there that, that, you, don't, that you don't see yet. So here's my suggestion, and I, I found it to be pretty reliable and just works pretty good. And I know it sounds old-fashioned, but if you will get yourself a good Bible that you can understand, uh, and there's, there's like 20 versions now, uh, read and affirm God's Word, the truth of that in your life. As you read that, begin to just kind of take that and then to affirm that and figure out ways you're going to apply that in practical Actions, applications into your life. Um, and one of the things that you will be able to do is to begin to see principles set up in your life ahead of situations. Does that make sense? How many times have you thought, well, I'll never do that or I'll never do this, and then all of a sudden you're in a situation, you're there. You're at the party. You are, I don't know, you're in front of the computer. You're, uh, tell me some of your favorite sins real quick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. But you're in that moment, you're on a date, you're somewhere, and all of a sudden there's that temptation, and you think, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And you just feel like a zombie. You just feel like you're just going to just go with it. Because you're trying to make a decision, a wise, practical, smart decision in a moment of weakness and vulnerability. It's like being with a pushy salesman and he says, oh, and we, you get a free umbrella and a free set of pots and pans and you just sign here and all this and you, and then a day later you think, oh my goodness, why do we do that? Because there's this, there's this enticement, this, this allurement to it in the moment. Now just think, if you ahead of time had decided this is how far we're going to go on our dates. No. This is where we hit the brakes. This is where this happens. And this is where, uh, this is how much I'm going to eat. I'm going to cut the burger in half and I'm going to box up half of it. I did not. You see what I'm talking about. You decide ahead of time using God's word as your guide. Then in the moment, you've already made the decision. You're going to have so much more victory living like that as it becomes a lifestyle than just trying in every situation and moment and circumstance and temptation to figure out what you're going to do now. How's that working for you? Right? We're, we're just going to give it. We're going to fail. And then you're covered with guilt and shame again. Remember, there are always consequences. I'll just, I'll just wrap up with that. Sin is always going to have a higher price tag than you want to pay. Every time. Are you ever surprised by your credit card bill at the end of the month? You get it and you think, oh, it couldn't be that much. There's no way. They made a mistake. You know, and you start going through and going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, wow, that added up. Well, it's kind of the way sin works. It's kind of the way this, this works going to be a higher price tag at the end of the day than you thought it was going to be. Well, here's a, here's a great scripture 
Uh, it's in Proverbs chapter 6, last scripture I'll read for you today. Um, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Do you think you can just sin and there's not going to be anything happen from that? Can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be scorched? It's not going to happen. And I know you think you're special and you're smarter and you got it figured out and you're going to get away and all. It's not going to happen. You're carrying a fire inside your shirt. You may get a temporary fix, and it's going to come back. And there'll be a payday. So this is our first lesson about how temptation works. Basically, that was my objective today, or my, my idea is just to get, begin to get you to see. Now, we have, as followers of Jesus, lots of tools and weapons and, and ways to to be mighty in our spirits and to resist temptation, there is one in particular that is like a secret weapon. You know that big bomb we just dropped recently? I didn't even know it existed. Um, it says it's the mother of all bombs. I forget the name of it. I think it's got a, a numerical... It's a, it's a, but we've got one of those as Christians. We've got one of those. And I'm going to share that with you in another message. Okay? So I hope you can get to come back or, or to, to listen to that. Because I want us to be strong. I don't want to go through life seeing our life and seeing sin through a filter uh, that deceives us. And that's not true. I don't want us to be defeated. I want us to be people of victory. you stand and let's let me just uh, let me just say a prayer for us and then, um, Father I want to thank you for today and I thank you for your for your grace that song we sang just right before uh, the, the message just really affirmed what your word teaches us today Lord how can it be how can it be uh, you right my wrongs you break my chains. You 